I uh, am starting a new series today. Uh, it's going to run most of the month of uh, August, and and I, I used this title a few years ago, and I've revived it. It's titled "Crazy Love." Have you noticed that when some people are in love, they're a little crazy? Have you noticed that some people, because they're not in love, are also? A little crazy. <laughs> Have you noticed that sometimes crazy just finds crazy? And you would think, is there really that much of a topic of conversation here from the Bible? But you'd be surprised how much of Scripture is devoted not only to our relationship upward with God, but also our relationship outward with one another. The relationships we have in our lives are fundamental to our faith. Ask Adam and Eve. Now, Jesus, of course, wasn't married. And from him, I draw great personal inspiration. No doubt, and let me dispel this right away. Somebody is going to say, what does he know anyway about relationships that he should give us a teaching? I want to remind you that my office is adjacent to Michael Collier. <laughs> and now I have much research available to me. If you're wondering where I got the title Crazy Love from, I'm going to take you to a scripture about that in a moment. But whenever we cover this topic, I invite you to ask questions. So there is an email especially created for this series titled Crazy Love at fathershousesa.org. This is not an email requesting a matching dating service. This is not an email I'm going to read either, so please uh, be careful. It will go to an admin person. And you're welcome to send your questions, even if your questions start with asking for a friend. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry, something in my eye. There. And we won't expose you in any way, but would be interested in responding. And every now and then I get criticism. A little while ago, I posted something about uh, what's a topic you'd love churches should talk more about. And somebody said, this is so terrible. Why don't you just go ask the Lord what he wants you to talk about? First of all, that's just rude. Type those things on your own page. But secondly, have got five followers though, so you don't want to. I know. But secondly, Jesus spent much of his ministry ask, answering questions. Nicodemus came to him late at night and said, how do I become a follower? Others would come to him and say, now Jesus, now Jesus, I got a question. The man was married and then the, you know, the man passed away and then his brother married her and then when they get to heaven, whose wife is she? Jesus did a lot of that. We're allowed to ask questions. We shouldn't have a culture in Christianity where the mighty man of God gets on the stage and declares all that he knows and then you very quietly like an abused child have to go home silently. You're allowed to ask. Sorry, I had to get that out. It's been festering for a bit. I'm done now. Feel better. Here we go. Crazy love. Uh, the conversation comes actually from a little verse out of the message translation. Second Corinthians chapter five says this. We, we just thought it would make you feel good, proud even, that we're on your side and not just nice to your face as so many people are. 
Paul says, if I act crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. This verse suggests if we're going to be crazy, be crazy for the love of God and in love with one another. That's what he's saying. Be extreme and extravagant in this idea. It's also important for us to know that relationships are deeply meaningful because we're in a relationship with God. But also the Bible tells us that if he could summarize the whole Old Testament into just two instructions, you know them, right? The first one would be love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second one would be love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so there's this whole instruction around what that looks like. And so today I want to title my message, I am second. I am second. Do you know, um, and this is really not uh, to nurse the, the hurts of any rugby team here, although I'm aware and acknowledge it's not at all. The idea of being second. I love that the commandment about loving your neighbor as you love yourself is the second most important commandment. I love it because in relationships, one of the keys of building good biblical relationships is to never try to place yourself first. The primary idea behind relationships is that God is first and I am second. And anytime we place ourselves in an environment where we're the most important and then try and add somebody to that, it just doesn't work. I tell this story quite often because it really stuck in my mind. I was on a road trip some years ago and stopped over. You know, at some stage in your life in South Africa, you must stop over at a wimpy. I just think it's important. I think you haven't had the full South African experience. If you haven't had a good wimpy breakfast with a wimpy coffee, can we have an amen from somebody? I don't know, I won't even look. I, I, I do think it's part of the experience, you know? And anyway, I was at, at, at one of these wimpies. I don't even know where I was going through South Africa. And I observed an elderly couple having breakfast. I just loved the way that they communicated without words. Do you know how that works? The waitress came around and they didn't need to look at the menu because I suspect that this was not the first time that they had come to the Wimpy. She chose for him and gave him the order. He didn't even look up. He didn't need to. They knew each other so well. They just flowed. I thought, oh, that's quite sweet. And then when the order came and the meal was placed, she put salt on her meal and she put salt on his meal too. Because she knows that's how it's going to work here. He didn't look up at all. And he had a taste and he looked at her and he said, perfect. It got to the point where their relationship almost didn't need an instruction manual anymore. They were connected in understanding. I pray and hope that my relationship with God will be a little like that. Without having to ask, I'll know instinctively my spirit what pleases God. And I'll place that order and do that thing. But in your relationships with one another, you have to have a sense that God is first and I am second. Matthew chapter 22 says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the Lord? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
all the law um, and the prophets hang on these two instructions. I find that interesting because many people are unable to love God with all their hearts, all their soul, all their strength or all their mind, just a little bit of it. And similarly, those same people aren't able to love others because they don't yet love themselves. And then some people love themselves so much, there isn't space for anybody else. Thank you for finishing that sentence for me. I appreciate it. Because some people are in a relationship. Their invisible friend is themselves. Oh. And both are injuries. Both are injuries. They're unhealthy. And Jesus is suggesting that our love for Him will affect our understanding of ourselves. And then coming from that place of health, we will be able to be better in our love for one another. It's incredibly powerful to recognize that all of us are in a relationship of some kind. You're either in a relationship with someone you want to be in, or you're in a relationship with someone you want to get out of. Please say nothing at this point in the service. Every now and then people would say to me, you know this old joke story, joke of mine, but perhaps if you're new, uh, people would say, it must be really terrible uh, to be single for so long. I couldn't imagine it. In fact, I had a friend in the evening service, I can tell this story now because they only come to the evening. And they said, Pastor George, I've been single for 15 days now and it's not working for me. I said, well, how old are you? He said, I'm 29. I said, oh, (laughs) you will live. It'll be okay. Whenever people ask me that kind of thing, I always remind myself of my go-to phrase, that there is something worse than being single. And that's wishing you were. Now that for me is tougher. I think. Just my little humble opinion. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. In fact, relationships aren't only boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife type relationships. All of our lives are surrounded by various levels of relationship and God needs to be first in all of them. Today I'm going to tell you about two relationships, people and their relationships in the Bible. The first, I have a special soft spot for because Zacchaeus was short. And whenever I meet you coming off the stage, you do love to tell me that I look bigger on the stage. Thank you for that. I'm also going to talk to you about somebody so famous for being mean in the Bible, so nasty and toxic that they've become a meme, Jezebel. Now, if you didn't, you're not, not into Christian terminology, you don't want somebody to call you a Jezebel. It's not a good idea. Now, many years ago, the church was a bit uh, overly sensitive. <laughs> so we dished that name out a lot, like unnecessarily. You wore makeup, you were like Jezebel. You wore Zara clothing, you, you, were, just, you were up to date. So <laughs> this one comes from there. Um, and, and But so mean in the Bible, this particular relationship, and so toxic that it's become a, a saying and it's worth exploring. Luke chapter 19 tells us the relationship damage that Zacchaeus had. 
it says this, and many of you already know the story, right? Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He's a tax collector. He's too short to see Jesus. He climbs a sycamore tree, waits for Jesus to come by, calls out, Jesus, consider me, come to my house for supper. Jesus looks at him and says, I'll have supper at your house tonight. And verse seven says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gonna go and be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus, verse, uh, I don't see the verse there, uh, says, uh, stood up and said, Lord, uh, uh, look, uh, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back uh, four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to your house. It's a well-known story because of the joke about him being short and climbing a tree and about coming to his house. But it's actually a story about Zacchaeus' relationships. As much as it is a story about how Jesus will fetch you, no matter what tree of confusion you have climbed into. I find it sad for Zacchaeus, short as he is, that he couldn't get himself to the front. He had to climb a tree. I joke about my own height because I think I'm appropriately heighted. I think a lot of you are unnecessarily tall. I think it's just, it's just extra. It's wasteful. I <laughs> see some of the tall people right now going, okay. We'll have a conversation about that later. When I hugged somebody at gym the other day and I'm like, you know, there's still half a human above me. It just <laughs> seems there'll be no hugging. But Zach is, no matter, whenever I'm, you know, I make a joke, whenever I'm in a group photo, what does everybody do? You, know, you must go stand in the front, you must go stand in the front. Come to the front, come to the front. Hopefully, you know, they're making a joke and they like me and they'd like me in the photo. I, of course, make a joke, I go stand at the back and pretend I'm with the big boys. No, no, George, come stand in the front. Nobody said to Zacchaeus, come stand in front. Zacchaeus knew that if he even asked somebody, for a gap in the crowd, that bench him. This guy, the tax collector who robs us. Now you want to be religious, come to the front row, sit in the front. No, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew his best bet was to familiarize himself with the sycamore tree because that was the only friend he had on the road that day. Zacchaeus invites Jesus for supper. And Jesus goes, because Jesus goes to places even when they have no friends. But everybody in the crowd said, is he seriously going to go and have supper with that guy? Because the gospel is good like that. The gospel goes to places that are uncomfortable to bring the joy of the Lord and teach us that anybody can be loved into the kingdom of God. And Jesus meets with him we don't know the nature of the conversation that night, but we do know enough that Zacchaeus was touched. And look at what happened to his salvation. He immediately thought, my relationships are so bad in the world, I've got to fix it. If I've robbed anyone, I'm pretty sure a queue formed outside Zacchaeus' house. If I've robbed anyone, I'll pay back four times. If you're wondering why four times, it's actually a whole biblical thing. Um, in the Old Testament, if you stole somebody's sheep, please don't do it. I'm saying that on behalf of the 
farmers in Tarkastat who tell me their sheep keep getting stolen. And the other day, they said to me, they said to me, if they stop stealing the sheep, maybe you can, you can get one to bribe. Please, you must just pray that they stop stealing the sheep. So in the name of Jesus in Tarkastat, stop it. Leave the sheep alone. Uh, in the Old Testament, if you stole sheep, uh, you would have to repay the one you stole and then three more for your sins because three is important in the Bible. Three has a value to it, a number to it. And Zacchaeus goes, you know what I've got to do? I've got to give back the money I took and then I've got to repay fourfold, three times more the amount I took. And you, and you know what Jesus says? Okay, now salvation is at work in your house. A lot of people have salvation at work in their heart, but it isn't coming out of the heart and starting to work in the house. So there's an upward relationship that's very good, but not an outward relationship that's very good. And yet the cross is both the horizontal and the vertical. And there's something really powerful about recognizing that we need to snap out of the worldly way of seeing things and start to acknowledge the godly way of seeing things. Right now, I think relationships are at an all-time low in the world. And they're not getting any better in the church, by the way. They're pretty low in church life too. Relationships have been left behind in our pursuit for our own identity, in our pursuit for our social media representation, in our pursuit for our own values. We have placed ourselves first and relationships work by putting ourselves second. Husbands and wives can stand together and worship the Lord, but can't stand each other when they get home. I mean, I'm not looking anywhere in particular, like some of you are like, don't look here. Because there's a danger that if we think our upward relationship is so powerful that it doesn't affect our outward relationship, we're going to get sabotaged by our outward relationships. As much as I can be gifted and anointed all I like, I can pat myself on the back and say, God truly has called me. Thank you, Lord. My whole calling Person, personally speaking, only works, only functions, is only possible and healthy because there are people in my life that add to that, draw it out, support it, stand with it. Some for many years now already. I think Vincent and Charisse are going on 20 years. I don't know. I met you in your four. Um, <clears throat> It works on relationships. Dean bundled his family and stuck him in the car and drove out to George to host a service there uh, this, this weekend. Pastor Israel is here from Cape Town to lecture at the college intensive but preaching in Jeffreys Bay to support Lloyd. Uh, I, I have an upward relationship with God, but my life functions in an outward relationship with other people. And you can't be bigger than the people in your life, no matter how big your calling is can't. Of course, the most ultimate one is who you marry. Please choose wisely. Some of you bring what I can only regard as rebellious creatures to me <laughs> and say, fix them. And 95%, the person bringing the person needs the work first. No, 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 you deleted that email address right there. Like, I'm not emailing that guy. I'm going to be the joke on his sermon next Sunday. There's an old saying that I highly recommend. Get into marriage with your eyes wide open. And then to stay married, keep them half shut. 
No, no, no. Let me tell you why that's important. Some people, everything is okay and they glance over it before marriage. And then when they get married, they're very sticky about everything. Shouldn't you have been sticky before you got married? So I want to see if I want to stick with you and your stickiness. You were casual before we got married. Now I found out you have issues. <laughs> married people literally looking at their spouses going, where was this sermon a year ago? <laughs> You've got this. And don't come to me with this theory that you've got to live together in order to work out if you're going to work out. Let me explain to you why. Speaking from a male perspective, it's the only perspective I can. Um, Speaking from a male perspective and speaking of the, from the perspective of many years of counselling, guys especially will do whatever it takes for any length of time in any environment you ask us to, to get you. All you've done is prolong the fishing. <laughs> and all the men said nothing, say nothing. Say nothing, your life is at stake here. Breathe nothing, say nothing. Steve Harvey says you must give a guy 90 days and then you'll see who really is. Eh. Some boys have endurance. <laughs> you say we've got to live together for a year. Eh. Be so nice. Love your opera music. Happy to drop you off here and pick you up there. The day after the year. It's going to be an... In <laughs> It's going to be an interesting series. I'm, I'm just going to have a sip of water here like Kermit the Frog. And do one of those. Don't mind me. I'm just here memes. Jezebel is a good example of how dramatic a relationship can be because Jezebel is married to a king. Now, you can't have a Jezebel behavior without somebody who's weak enough to allow it. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I don't allow Jezebel spirits. I see them all the time. I don't allow them. People who dominate in areas they shouldn't be dominating, discourteous, you don't allow it. You just, you just, I don't, I'm not going to come and do this play with you. But 1 Kings chapter 21 describes what happened. So context-wise, um, and it's so nice we're not streaming this series so that I can throw in all the humor and not get into legal trouble somewhere. But... So this king um, was quite a selfish guy. He was not second. He was first. Actually, Jezebel was first, but he didn't know it. I mean, he's a rich guy and a king, and he asked if he could take somebody's vineyard that was bordering his property. He said, look, can I buy your vineyard? I want to turn it into a vegetable patch. It's actually in the Bible, everything I'm saying now. And... Um, and because it's close, then I don't have to walk far from my kitchen to go get the vegetables. And the guy said, it's the only vineyard I have. It's come down through the generations. It's my family generational vineyard. I'm not giving it to you. Then the king said, I'll buy it or I'll give you a better vineyard but far away. And the guy said, uh, thanks but no thanks. So he comes back home, Ahab, and the Bible says he sulks. Oh, sulky people attract Jezebels. Oh, my goodness. Oh, he's sulking. Everything is so hard. He, he has enough. He would like this, but he's not getting his way. He's going to start to see the 
parallel with relationships. He's not getting his way, so he sulks. So he has a woman in his life who knows how to respond to sulking. So she does stuff to make him happy, and he knows if he's unhappy, she'll do stuff. So a little childish relationship unfolds. 1 Kings 21 says this, there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's a bit, I mean, that's a, quite a, an award, eh? The most wicked of people, Ahab, come forward and receive your prize. He didn't because Jezebel got there first. But <laughs> urged on by Jezebel, his wife, he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites and the Lord drove out, that the Lord drove out before Israel. So here's what Jezebel does. I didn't have, I knew I wouldn't have the time to put the whole chapter there for you to consider. But here's what Jezebel does. Jezebel says, what's wrong my baby? I'm paraphrasing, but I mean, it's there. But I mean, you use that word. Oh baby, what's wrong baby? How can I make it better baby? Underlining the word baby. Such a baby. Oh, my baby, what's wrong? Oh, I went to, I, I went to Nozab and I asked Nozab to buy his vineyard, baby. And he said, no. He said, no, to you. Oh, baby, I'm going to sort it out, baby. <laughs> Literally what happened. You guys should read your Bible more. So she decides, here's what I'm going to do. I go to, I go to, I mean, he's not going to sell it to me. I go to kill this guy. But I did it in a clever way. Because shame my baby. He's upset, you know. You see those manipulative relationships where you act out an emotional weakness in order to get somebody else to change their behavior in order to get to respond to making you first. Ahab's got this little game going. Jezebel's only too happy. So she does this. She organizes a party. Watch out for parties. Eh? There's lots of agendas. She organizes this party and she says, listen, I'm going to put two people next to, I'm going to put two people next to, next to him. And then on the other side of him, opposite him, I'm going to put randoms. And I'm going to say to the randoms, you must say during the dinner that Nozab cursed God. Because the law is if you curse God, you must be killed. Okay, cool, cool. Arrange it. Sit at the dinner. Got the wrong people at the table of his life. And they falsely accuse this man with the vineyard. And Jezebel's there saying, sorry, what happened? Very surprised. Oh, this person is annoying to me. And they kill him. And they take the vineyard. And she comes to him and says, baby, you won't believe what happened. You won't believe it. See how God works, babe. He's dead today. You don't even have to bite. What a blessing. You can just take it, now it's gone. Ooh, can you just picture? But you know what was truly annoying about Jezebel? Is the prophet of God, Elijah, prayed one day that fire would come and consume the false prophets of Baal. And somebody came to him and said, Jezebel heard that you attacked her people. And Jezebel is coming after you. And you know what the prophet did? He ran scared and hid in a cave. And God had to come to him and say, what's wrong with you? Literally, man up. 
You just prayed fire down and destroyed 450 prophets of Baal and you're scared of the spirit of this person. Let me tell you, the right person will draw out the best in you. The wrong person will have you running scared. You might look like you've gained an inheritance and increased your lands, but maybe it was done manipulatively and now the whole thing is toxic and in the toxicity of it, you're going to suffer. And you know, these examples of Zacchaeus' relationship with his world and Jezebel and Ahab's relationship with one another is again and again an example of how the gospel doesn't just change my upward trajectory. The gospel changes my outward trajectory also. And I wanted to encourage you over the next few weeks that we sink our teeth into a couple of those ideas. In fact, over the next few weeks, I'd like to teach you about seven types of relationships that the Bible reveals to us. Some of them are to be avoided, and some of them are so essential they should be included. Can I give them to you really quick? And then they'll be online, and you don't have to, like, you don't have to make notes because you can screenshot it if you want, but also you can go to our YouTube channel. Please like, subscribe, and comment. <laughs> little ad. Smash the like button. Um, seven relationship types that you need to either some avoid or some must include and know how to identify them. The first one is the counterfeit relationship. The counterfeit relationship is the relationship where the person in the relationship is not being real. The counterfeit If I was doing an evening service, I'd call it catfish relationship. Oh, some of you are like, yeah. The contaminated relationship. This is the relationship that no matter what else they do in their lives, they always go back to one of the same issues over and over again. It's contaminated in some kind of way. The third is the compromise relationship. Oh, I, I find this absolutely fascinating that people would say, do you know, to make a relationship work, hey, you've got to compromise. On supper, yes, but not on spiritual value. It's not whether you must compromise, it's where you must compromise. It's where. If she likes sushi and you like burgers, buy both or acknowledge you're eating sushi. That's just how it's going to be. But when it comes to values, you don't build a relationship by compromising. You build a relationship by cooperating. But we'll, 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 we'll get there. Then there's the compassion relationship. The compassion relationship is that relationship where you're okay in it, but you would feel too bad to break it. So you're in the relationship because you feel sorry that you might hurt them if you're not. What an awful reason to be in a relationship. That's just pain spread out over a lifetime. Isn't it easier to just have it all at once? And then there's the character relationship. This is the relationship built on people who choose to work together because they see the world the same. And there's huge value in having character in the relationship. Sometimes the problem with that is that it can become competitive. Who's the better one at this and the better one at that? I never ask anymore who's the better cook at home because some relationships are not ready to answer that question. Some of them say, oh no, he's definitely, definitely the better cook. Or vice versa, some would say, she's a much better cook. But when they both say they're the better cook, 
Then I get reminded, babe, do you remember last week when you did that pasta? Do you remember that pasta? It was some mint. How can you say you're the better? Now, sometimes character is a great way of getting you together, but not always enough to keep you together. I know good people who couldn't keep it together. And then there's the commitment relationship. This is the relationship that says, we're together and I'll show you. Dad said, you shouldn't be in that relationship. Your pastor said, are you sure? And you said, I'll show you. But then there is that relationship that is perhaps the most powerful of all. A relationship built on calling. God put us together. He designed us this way. There is no better fit than a fit created by heaven. You are my Eve to his Adam. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There is not only a sense of traveling together, there is the most important sense of all. God is first. And we are second. Is that capable? I'm not sure at this point if I'm provoking you to clap for my own encouragement. I'll wrap up with this verse, 1 John chapter 2 from the message. I'm doing this tonight too. I'm going to unpack the catfish relationship tonight. And I'm partly being mischievous in encouraging you to double dip. It is long weekend after all. And you've got nothing else on. I mean, if it's not load shedding, then it's water shortage. If it's not, okay, that's naughty. I'll take that back. Delete that last, just rewind, delete, delete. But it will be available on podcast anyway. 1 John chapter 2 says this, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting and wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. What a powerful passage of Scripture to remind us that even in this thing, whatever this thing is of relationship, of a relationship nature, it should start with God is first, I am second. And it should start with this idea that my upward, upward faith should be matched by an equally powerful outward faith. That we are not only focus so much in the clouds that we aren't willing to look around and face those realities. There are some relationships here, listening to this message that maybe by the end of this series, you look at each other and go, let's end it. If you do that, I would like neither of you to come and tell me. Please don't come and tell me because of you and your series. There are some of you waiting for a mystery person who might be around you. And you need to snap out of being so self-important and start a relationship. And then there are some of you who think, your life is on hold until you find the one. But you're actually already in many relationships of different kinds. And if you're not healthy in that, you're not gonna be able to be healthy in the one. And maybe like Zacchaeus, you need to fix some relationships. Say sorry and repair some things because my upward faith must express itself in an outward way. Can you say amen to that? Would you please stand with me as we pray?
I'm um, always fascinated by our online community. I think it's one of the great miracles of lockdown is that we have hundreds and hundreds of people watching live right now, four or 500 people watching live around the world. And I, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that. But I also want to say God's doing something in our rooms. And I, I'm, let's pray that God will continue to do that in our hearts. Lord, thank you that our faith is not boxed behind some holy curtain in some holy place where we visit once in a while. The, the curtain has been torn so that that which was holy in one place can be holy in every place. Will you make our lives a representation of our faith in every way? Would you help us navigate our relationships so that we don't live isolated lives and we don't live toxic lives and we're not twisted and turned as Jezebel did Ahab and we're not so lonely as Zacchaeus as to find no other way to find you and no open door but to try our best. Lord, would you please help us build healthy relationships because they're an expression of a healthy relationship with you. In this church, would you build marriages that last a lifetime? Would you raise young people with purity of heart and purity of practice so that there can be purpose in relationships? Would you raise up children in households of faith, full of health, and awareness of God and a con continual recognition that we are second because you and nothing else ought to be first. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise and worship for His Word? Mm -hmm.